Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast brought to you by our good friends at MyBookie. Go ahead right now, guys. If you have not done so yet this season, it's never too late. Go to MyBookie.ag. Use that promo code UGA to get up to $200 in cash. You're going to match that initial deposit, guys, up to $200. And as soon as you bet that initial deposit, then you will have that cash released to your account and you can withdraw it to do whatever you want to do with it. It is a no-brainer kind of deal, guys. So make sure to bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. But all right, guys, we've got a lot to talk about today. I'm not sure you heard. I don't know. Maybe you did. Maybe you didn't. But the Georgia Bulldogs just won the SEC championship, and the Georgia Bulldogs just got selected as the number one overall seed in the 2022 college football playoffs. So just a a couple things to talk about today, right? So let's go ahead and get things rolling. This is going to be a Tyler Solo show, for better or worse, it's going to be one. Uh, Curtis, just just a little inside baseball here for you guys. Curtis recently got engaged, so, so very exciting news. I'm absolutely thrilled for him. But that means today he's out doing some potential wedding stuff. He's visiting potential wedding venues out and about today. And that was kind of the deal. Saturday was SEC Championship Day, but Sunday had to be the bride-to-be's day. So he's uh, out dutifully doing as he needs to be doing, which means you guys have got me today, but it's all good. I've got you 100% covered And I'm going to try to fit in as much into this show as I possibly can. So again, let's go ahead and jump right in, guys. And look, I know that we won the national championship last year. That was a truly indescribable feeling. I mean, honestly, I think I can say I've never truly felt that specific combination of feelings and emotions ever in my life. This is different. Like when you get married, like that's a totally different kind of thing, right? Like getting married versus winning the national championship, they're both awesome, but they're a different kind of feeling. This was like a rush of adrenaline, right? Like that kind of thing. When you get married, it's like, hey, I'm, I'm in love. This is incredible. It's romantic, all that. It's all great. It's just a different kind of thing. So I don't know if I'd ever felt that exact combination of feelings and emotions when we won the national championship last year. Because I mean, guys, look, just like all of you, I had yearned after that for so long. So that, that was crazy awesome. I don't know if that will ever quite be surpassed in my college football fandom, because I mean, we're, we're going to win more national championships. I don't know when that's going to be, hopefully this year, but we're going to win more. 
but I don't think any of them will ever quite feel like that one after I had quite literally waited my entire life for that. So the win over LSU yesterday clearly does not match that, but I'm not going to lie. It still feels pretty damn good because I wanted this one, guys. I know you guys did too. I wanted this one. I've gotten tired of losing these things. I know like the ultimate goal is the national championship. And in many ways, the ACC championship is kind of just like a means to an end to get to that point. And going into this game, we knew after the, what had transpired on Friday and earlier on Saturday that even if we'd lost this game, we were still going to be in the cultural playoff. We knew that. So from that perspective, it's kind of like, well, maybe this game wasn't as big of a deal. Maybe it wasn't that important. But I don't look at it that way. I'm tired of losing these things. I wanted to win an SEC championship. And also, guys, on top of that, over the years, I've kind of gotten tired of losing to LSU. I mean, we've only played them 33 times ever in the history of our program now after after yesterday. But let me go back to when I was in high school, guys. I mean, I, I was heartbroken in high school in 2003. Lost to them twice that year in the regular season in Baton Rouge, obviously. Then the SEC championship game as well. Then we rolled off three straight against LSU. And one of those was one of my favorite games in Sanford Stadium ever that I've been to. And this is a game I feel like kind of gets lost in the shuffle when you talk about the biggest wins. And, and I, I, it's a stretch to say Georgia football history, but it was some of the, the best wins that we've had in Sanford Stadium. And that's the 2004 win over LSU. Like they were defending national champions. They come into Sanford Stadium. I, I, off the top of my head, I can't remember the exact score. It was like 41-14, maybe 45-14. I just remember David Green just dropping bombs all day long, bomb after bomb down the field with Reggie Brown, Fred Gibson, all those guys. And that was an awesome game, man, for a, for a young freshman at UGA to be able to witness. That, that was a fantastic game. So we rolled off three straight there, feeling good. But then, you know, we lose in 2011 in the SEC Championship game. That was actually, was that my first SEC Championship game? Yeah, I think it was my first one that I had been to. Then 2018, we know what happened in Baton Rouge. That sucked, man. That's the only time I'd ever been to Baton Rouge for an actual game. And, uh, yeah, to go that distance and um, lose like that, that was not fun. Then we know 2019, maybe the best college team I'd ever seen, the LSU 2019 team with Joe Brady and Joe Burrow, all those guys, you know, get blown out in that one. And then 20, in 2009, I know that's before this, but you guys remember 2009? We got cheated in that game, man. Like that was the AJ celebration game, right? AJ gets called, he scored a touchdown, uh, gets called for excessive celebration for literally like hugging his teammates. It was one of the most egregiously bad calls I've ever seen in the history of football. Set them up a great field position, and uh, on that last drive, and they go down, they score, and they win the football game. That, I feel like that one was stolen from us. But anyway, it's just nice to beat LSU because it's been a minute since we've actually beaten LSU. I mean, last time was, what, 2013? That was that was an awesome game in Sanford Stadium, but it's been a while since we've beaten these guys. So, yeah, I got tired of losing them. It was great to get one, not just an SEC title in general, but to get one over LSU. And then on top of all that, winning this one gives us 14 SEC titles, which breaks a tie with Tennessee. We are now the team with the second most SEC championships in all the land. So that's something to be proud of right there. So yeah, guys, look, I'm just excited, man. I'm excited to win another SEC title. And I'm excited to see, see us do it against LSU. I'm excited for these players. This is the winningest senior class in the history of Georgia football, in the history of our program. But none of them had won an SEC championship before yesterday. We were in danger of those guys leaving this program without an SEC championship. So just excited for them to get it, for us to get it as, as a as a fan base, and uh, just to move on now into the cultural playoff as the number one overall seed. So that's all great. But to be entirely honest, 
I do have kind of mixed feelings about this one. Not mixed feelings about the win. I'm, I'm ecstatic that we won the game. But I have some mixed feelings about maybe how we won the game and some of the things that transpired within this game. So there's some good. There's some bad to talk about. Obviously, there was more good than bad because we did win this game by three touchdowns. Did drop 50 on LSU. So let's start there. Let's start with the good stuff. I want to start with some positive vibes where we, we kind of mess things up and talk about some things that none of us really want to talk about. But we got to. Got a job to do here on this podcast. So let's start with the good stuff. So 35-10 at the half. This game was over at that point. We all knew that. We dropped 50 on them when it's all said and done. We win this game by three touchdowns. So at the end of the day, you win it going away if you look at the box score, right? If you look at the final score. And yes, we do break the tie with Tennessee as a team with the second most SEC championships. That's beautiful. It's amazing. And hey, look, I'll add this in there. I know like Tennessee's going to catch a shot here, but the way those fans have acted this year, anytime that we can get any sort of leg up on Tennessee, I'm all for it. So I will take it, man. I'm loving that. So that's great. 35, 10 and a half, drop a 50 burger, win by three touchdowns. It's a beautiful thing, right? And we're going to talk plenty about the defense. We'll get there. But again, we're talking about good stuff here. The offense was a machine, guys, an absolute machine. We dropped 50. If we really wanted to, like if we were playing the entire game the way that we played the first half, like playing that level of aggressiveness, we could have scored 70 on this team. Like, I have zero doubt in my mind we could have scored at will in the second half. They were tired. They were exhausted. They were fatigued. We were running the ball down their throat. At times, we weren't even really trying to throw the football. We weren't trying to score. You know what we do, guys. That's what we do, right? We get big leads, and we kind of just send the ball in the second half and just try to ice the game and get out of there with a W. And that's what we did. But if we had played the same way we did in the first half for all four quarters, for all 60 minutes of this game, we would have scored 70-plus on this LSU team. I have very little doubt in my mind based off what I saw in that first half and in the early portions of the second half. And at the end of the day, we did put up 529 yards. And once again, we saw the return of the Georgia offense that we know and love. It's back from the dead after a two-week hiatus where everyone's kind of biting their fingernails and whispering silently into the corner like, is there something wrong with our offense? Are we, re- are we as good as we think we are? Is Stetson the answer? Is he coming back? Like, is he returning back to the old Stetson form? Is that what we're seeing now? Like, oh my God, this is not what we want to see, right? Well, guys, your prayers were answered. It's okay. No problem. The Georgia offense that we have known and loved for most of this season came back in a big way, in a big spot, in a big game, in the SEC Championship game with 529-yard total offense, 50 points. It was just the way that we did it too offensively, guys. Like, Not only was this a great productive day for the offense in terms of yardage, in terms of points scored, all those things that you want to see, but the way that we did it was just vintage, classic Georgia. This is how we want our offense to operate ideally, right? We come out very aggressive in the first half. And LSU defensively played right into our hands. I'm not sure what they were doing from a game plan standpoint. They did not follow the blueprint that Kentucky and Georgia Tech laid out the past two weeks in terms of keeping a too high safety shell and allowing us to run the football on them, but keeping us from hitting those vertical shots down the field that we want to, those kill shots. They came out and did what everyone's done to us basically since 2017, get a safety in the box to start the game, try to take away the run game, try to control the run game. And they were trying to basically force us to win outside one-on-one, but we've shown over and over again that if you give us those looks, we have enough guys. Your AD's been out all year, but loud, you got Brock, 
Locke. We've got the running backs. We've got Darnell. We have enough guys, and we have a fantastic play caller that can take advantage of those looks, and we will hit those kill shots, and we will jump out to a huge lead, and you will be taken out of your game plan. You're going to have to fight back from behind, and we are just going to run the clock and gash you and wear you out and ice the game in the second half. And Tech and Kentucky, give Mark Shoup's credit, they said, yeah, we know what Georgia wants to do, so we're not going to let them do that. We're going to try to... We're going to try to reduce the margins, keep this game tight. Yeah, they're going to run the ball on us in those looks because they have a great offensive line, have good running backs. We keep a too high shell. They're going to run the ball on us, but we're going to make them do that, eat clock, chew clock, and give us a chance to kind of be somewhat in this game in the second half as opposed to being down 35-10 at halftime. So LSU decided, nah, man, like we're just, uh, we're not going to do that. I mean, honestly, did they even watch the tape? Did they, did they watch the tech tape? Did they watch the Kentucky tape? Because if they did, you would say, oh yeah, that's kind of a blueprint. Maybe we should try that. But nah, nah, I guess they knew better, right? Well, that's what gets 50 dropped on you. But just an absolutely classic, vintage, balanced Georgia offensive performance. 274 yards passing, 9.4 yards per attempt, 255 yards rushing, 5.8 yards per attempt. That is what we do. That is who we are. And honestly, I think ideally that's who we want to be. And when we can play that kind of football offensively, we are extraordinarily difficult to beat. Like you can you can try to get us in a shootout, which I guess they kind of did to a degree. But when we play like that offensively, you cannot beat us. Because even if you hit some big plays in the passing like they did, and we'll get to that in a minute here, we're still good enough in the front seven to make you one-dimensional, and we're just going to outscore you. And that, and that's another huge thing here, guys. I said this going back. even the, I think I said it after the Kentucky game. I definitely said it after the, after the Tech game. And I know there was a lot of concern. Well, you only beat Kentucky 16-6. You're only up on Tech 10-7 at the half. Like, what's going on here? Like, we're, we were killing everybody else. Like, why are we not doing that right now? Again, it goes back to how they were playing us defensively. But I chose to look at it. Maybe Maybe it's me being like, glass half full, but I chose to look at it a different way. I know those games were closer than they should have been. I know those games were a little bit tighter than the talent level should have indicated. Certainly they were. There's no doubt about it. But I was heartened by it because what it told me is that this Georgia football team has the ability to win games in different ways. Whatever type of game you want to make us play, we can play that game and we can win that game. If you want to try to take away the run, sell out to stop the run like Tennessee did, great, cool. We're going to hit some vertical shots down the field early in that game and get out to a big lead and take you kind of out of what you want to do. Same thing with LSU. If you want to be Georgia Tech, if you want to be Kentucky and sit sit back in a too high shell and force us to run the ball on you and take away the explosive plays, that's fine. We'll run the ball down your throat. The final score might look a little closer and it might make all those people who didn't actually watch the game say, ooh, what's wrong with Georgia? Ooh, is Georgia overrated? And the answer is nothing is wrong with Georgia. And no, we're not overrated. We just have the ability to win games in different ways because teams are going to try to dictate to you, right? Like based on how they play you defensively, what they try to do to you offensively, they can try to dictate certain things and try to like pull you into their game. And some teams don't have the ability to win a different type of game. And the analogy I use is a baseball analogy, right? A lot of teams have a great fastball, have an awesome fastball. But when you take that fastball away, when you sit on their fastball and you start jacking over the fence, they don't have an off-speed pitch. They don't have the changeup. They don't have the curveball. They don't have the slider to beat you with the next time up. Well, we do. And we showed that yet again on Saturday in this win against LSU in the SEC Championship game. So in my mind, that is a major positive to take away from this game, as is the way that we just flat out dominated the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. Now, defensively, we'll get to some of the issues in the past defense here in a second. I'm going to hold that for a minute. We'll get there. Trust me. 
But I will give the defense this. We at least made LSU one-dimensional on offense. Yeah, they threw the ball over the field. We know what happened there. We'll get to that. But we held LSU, a team that does a fantastic job running the football, we held them to 47 yards rushing, only 2.4 yards per carry. And I know things don't work this way. I know you can't just say, oh, well, if you take away this one run, if you take away this one play, well, the fact is that play happened, right? But they did break that one long run, right? Josh Williams broke that one long 47-yarder because of a bad fit by Pop there. I mean, it happens. You don't want to see it happen, but, you know, when, they run, when you run the ball, run the ball, it's going to happen occasionally, right? But if you take away that one long 47-yard run, they had 19 rushes for zero yards. When you include sack yards, right? Including sack yards, they would have had 19 rushes for zero yards. They had 20 rushes for 47 yards in the day. And they had that one 47-yard run. So without that one play, it's 19 rushes, zero yards. So what that means, yes, that play happened, but in a down-to-down basis, we completely controlled line of scrimmage and took away the run game. And that's why they had to throw the ball all over the field. And our defense, a defense which does struggle, generally speaking, to rush the passer, at least get the passer on the ground. We, we can pressure the quarterback to actually get the guy on the ground. You know, you guys know it's well documented. We had issues with that this year. Had four sacks in this game. So defensively, yeah, we did controlled line of scrimmage. And of course, offensively, you guys saw it. Of course, we controlled the line of scrimmage. Third straight game of 247 yards or more on the ground. That's now seven out of our last eight games that we've averaged five yards or more per carry. I think our offensive line deserves the Joe Moore Award, guys. I really do. I mean, I know those things, I guess it doesn't really matter. It helps in recruiting, so it kind of does matter. But I guess it's not the end of the world if we don't win it. And it's not the greatest thing in the history of the world if we do win it. But think of back to early October, the first week of October, actually, right? We played Missouri and think about the narrative about our offensive line coming out of that game. I mean, I had many people, not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, many people sending me DMs on on Twitter, on Instagram saying, hey, it's time to get Stacey Searles out of here. And I, at the at that point, I was like, yeah, I kind of get where you're coming from here. It's like, well, let's, you know, I'm thinking like, let's, let's just let it play out. Let's see what happens here. But it was a bad look, man. I mean, we almost lost that game. Like, what we just experienced, like being the number one seed in the college football playoff, like even, hell, getting in the college football playoff. If we lose to Missouri, like do we make the college football playoff? Probably based off how things transpired while the other teams around us losing. But I guess there'd be no guarantee because that would not have been a good loss. So that was a bad performance by the offensive line. And I had my doubts. I had concerns for sure. But man, since that game, it's been such an upward trajectory. They've, get, they've gotten better and better week after week after week to the point where now... I, I don't think it's a stretch to say that this is the best offensive line in the country. That at least they're playing that way right now. They're gelling. They understand what's going on. Some of the guys that were new and played a lot, they're, they've kind of figured things out. They've settled in. They've gotten better. And like in turn, you guys know we were crude on the offensive line. The talent was always there. That was never the question. It was just like we had to get those pieces to fit. We had to get guys playing the way they need to be playing. And that certainly seems to be happening because we are just controlling line of scrimmage. Look, we've protected Stetson incredibly well all year long. So that's something to be very excited about coming to this game because that's what we need to do. That's Georgia football dominating the lines of scrimmage. That is what we do. And then I told you guys on the preview episode, one of the keys to this game was going to be red zone efficiency. We have we've had some well-documented struggles. At times, we've also been alternately really good offensively in the red zone but we've had some struggles obviously Missouri go back to that game Kentucky as well in some of these games the final score is far closer than it should have been we've had trouble at times putting 
the ball in the end zone once we get inside the red zone. Moving the ball, the ball between the 20s hasn't really been much of a problem. The red zone at times has been an issue. And then on the flip side, LSU is one of the best teams in all of America scoring touchdowns in the red zone. So I felt, and I told you guys in the previous episode, that that was going to be a key in this game, one of the keys. And sure enough, I think it turned out that way because we were incredible in the red zone. This is going back. This is what kind of what we saw the first time we played in Atlanta earlier this year against Oregon. We, what, we were seven of seven in the red zone, right? Well, we were five of five scoring touchdowns in the red zone on Saturday against LSU. Hell, we even had a Darnell Washington score. We even had a Darnell Washington red zone touchdown. Who would have thought? Never knew it was possible. Here it is. Amazing, right? So we held up our end of the bargain offensively. And I I want to give Todd Munkin some credit here. He clearly went back into the lab and said, look, we've got to, we've got to try some things. We've got to fix some things, right? And one of the things that we're seeing is that we're going away from some of the jumbo packages once we get inside the five-yard line. We're, we're kind of running the same formations, the spread looks that we run pretty much everywhere else in the field, which is something that I was kind of advocating for many reasons. You guys heard me talk about it. I want to go into detail again. It just kind of, it allows you to take advantage of, of space more, right? And we've had more success with that. We're throwing the ball a little bit more. We're not just doing the whole arrogant, like, oh, we need one yard. Well, damn it, we're going to get one yard. We're going to ram it down your throat. Like, ideally, cool. That's awesome. But like, you don't have to be arrogant. Like, Just do what you have to do to get in the end zone, right? And I think we're doing a better job of that because we have weapons. We have the ability to do We've done it all year long. Um, just had some a couple of games where it was like, man, like we, we got to fix this. So we did our our, our job there at Todd Munkin. Kudos, buddy. And then LSU, defensively, I'll give our defense credit here, right? We're going we're gonna to bash the defense a little bit. Coming up, a little teaser there for you. But defensively, did a really good job of keeping LSU from scoring touchdowns in the red zone. We held them, uh, they had three t- three red zone trips. We held them to one touchdown. We had a block kick on one of those. And then we also had uh, the stop, the fourth down stop, fourth and one stop inside the, or at, I guess it was at the five yard line. So that uh, that was great. I mean, that was one of the keys to this game, scoring touchdowns on our end offensively and then keeping LSU from scoring touchdowns when they were in the red zone themselves. So that was fantastic. Should be very excited about that. Hey, a special teams touchdown. Like, we got to be excited about that. Special teams, I think, has been a mixed bag for us. It hasn't been like a disaster. We've had, obviously, we gave up early in the year. We gave up some fake fake punts, and you don't like to see that kind of thing. We haven't really broken a long win in the punt return game. Kick return game has not been very good. Uh, it just really has, and that, that kick team has, has struggled this year. But it was nice to see us get that blocked field goal. And it's one of those crazy stats, guys. So there have been five blocked field goals in SEC championship game history. I think, what, 1992 was the first one? Going back to 1992, if I remember correctly. Five in the history of the game. The Georgia Bulldogs have four of them. That's just, like, insane. Like, what? That doesn't make any sense. But, hey, we've got four of the five in the history of the SEC Championship game. That was the 27th non-offensive touchdown of the Kirby Smart era. And that was a big one, guys. I mean, like, they were trying to take the early. Yeah, we held them to a field goal. Great. But they were trying to jump out there, get the early lead. And we completely flipped the momentum there. And I think from that point on, it was all Georgia. I know they, they come back and they had the, the long touchdown pass, I guess the catch and run for, uh, by Keishon Bouti to tie it up at seven. But after that point, like we completely took control of the game. And it really started there. It's like, what if they, they kick a field goal there? And then we have to punt the next drive. They get they get the ball back and they score a touchdown with Bouti there. Now it's 10-0. It's maybe a, a different game. It's certainly a different complexion early in that game. So just a massive play there. Got to give uh, Nas Stackhouse credit for for the block, and then Chris Smith, like just what a heads up play. It was, it's crazy because 
you know, I in the stands, I was just I was jumping up like I was like the players in the field. I was jumping up celebrating that we blocked the kick, and because it looked like everyone was kind of walking off the field because they were like the ball was kind of just stopping dead, like they're gonna blow it dead. And then you see like Chris Smith pick it up and start running. I'm like, what's going on? What's going on? Oh my god! Oh my god! I'm like, no one's blowing it dead. Oh my god! It's not blowing dead. It's a touchdown! Oh my god! So that was crazy exciting. I just like didn't know what was happening there for a minute because I was kind of excited that we blocked the kick there so early in the game. We didn't know how the game was going to play out, right? Still fired up about it. And uh, Chris Smith heads up play. You can see him kind of look at the referee there. You, you saw the, the, I was watching the replay today. You saw Todd Munkin up in the booth saying, no, 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 don't touch it, don't touch it, don't touch it, get away, get away. And then Chris picks it up, starts running, then Todd's like, go, 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 go. Just a, a heads up play by Chris, man. Big time play by, by a big time player for us who's been around for a long, long time. So that was huge. Then forcing turnovers. Gotta like that too, right? Forced three turnovers. We have not been good forcing turnovers this year, guys. We came into this game minus two in turnover margin, which I felt was one of the Achilles heels of this team. I know it hasn't hurt us. We've won every game, but when you look down the road at some of the better teams you have to play, if you're not forcing turnovers at the rate that you need to and you're turning the ball over too much, that can absolutely be the difference between winning and losing a game where the margins are much smaller, like this game against Ohio State, which we'll get to a little bit later on in the Peach Bowl, where the spread, depending on where you look, six and a half, seven points, those margins are small. You've got to be able to be efficient in in your turnover margin and we forced three, only gave up one ourselves, and that is a step in the right direction. We are now even in turnover margin on the year, which, again, not great. It's not where we want to be, but at least we're starting to trend, starting to move into the right direction there. But if you kind of put all those things together, guys, so dominant line to scrimmage, uh, red zone efficiency, special teams play, turnovers, I think that's why we won this game, guys. And I think that's why we're all feeling great. Because if you look at it, that formula, red zone efficiency, special team touchdowns, plus two in the turnover margin, that's what won us this game. Because if you look at the final stats, and I know like this can be overplayed at times, but LSU outgained us 549 yards to 529 yards. Yeah, we put up a lot of a lot of points, a lot of yards, but they put up a lot of yards and not as many points, but put up a lot of yards, man. And you know, the closest we'd come to being outgained at any other point this year was Kentucky. We were plus 68 in that game. And that was a different kind of game. It was a weather game. Like, you don't really put much in it. I think, I think besides Kentucky, the next closest margin was Florida. That was like just a little under 200 yards that we outgained them by. So this was a very new thing for us. We had not been outgained in any other game this year. We still won by three touchdowns. Why did we still win by three touchdowns? Because we scored touchdowns in the red zone. They did not. We forced turnovers. They couldn't consistently force turnovers. We had the special teams touchdown. And that is ultimately what made this margin seem wider than maybe it really kind of was from a down-to-down basis. Because I know this is not how these things work, okay? I know this is not how these things work. But let's just do a hypothetical here, all right? I'm just going to try to make a quick little point here. Let's say we go five out of five in the red zone scoring touchdowns. Let's say we just go two out of five, okay? And that takes 12 points off the board. And let's say LSU on the other end, they went one of three in the red zone. But let's say they go three for three scoring touch on the red zone because they've been like at a 70, they've basically been scoring touchdowns like almost like a 75% clip once they get in the red zone. That's not really out of the question for them. So let's say they went three three for three scoring touch on the red zone. You know, that because that Josh Williams, where we stopped them on the fourth and one from the five yard line in the second half, that score, if they let's say if they score there, that would have made the game 35-24, like in actual real life. Like we had 35 points at that point. They had 17. That makes the game 35-24. That's only an 11-point game there with plenty of game left. And let's say, let's go back 
to the, their second drive. Let's say if they score a touch on that second drive, which is the drive where we blocked the field goal, right? Let's not forget, they had first and goal from the seven-yard line on that drive. Now, give our defense credit. We've been awesome in the red zone, forcing field goals, and we did exactly that. So let's give those guys some credit there. But they had the ball first and goal from the seven-yard line. Let's say they score a touchdown there, because LSU, again, has been great scoring touchdowns on the red zone this year. If we don't hold them there, well, dude, I mean, that's 35-31. If Josh Williams scores from the five-yard line, if they would have scored in that drive, we stopped in fourth and one. And I don't think that's that much of a stretch. It did not happen. You can't go back and rewrite history. Those things did not happen. But they also weren't that far from happening, right? But at the end of the day, like it is what it is. We were efficient and they weren't. And that's part of being a better football team, right? Better football teams are more efficient. And that's how it kind of played out. But the, my point is the margins can be small in these games, right? And that's why going back to the Missouri game, going back to, to the Kentucky game a couple of weeks ago, I know there were a lot of people, based on what I heard from all you wonderful listeners on social media, that were very frustrated and upset after those games and very concerned after those games. And I, and I totally understand why. But the reason I wasn't freaking out after either of those wins is because I know how small the margins can be. And it really comes down a lot of times to the red zones. If you score touchdowns in the red zone, it's a different story. If we scored touchdowns in the red zone at Missouri, if we went like five for five, I think we what were two. I think we were two for five. If I remember correctly, something like that. Scoring touchdowns in the red zone against Missouri. If we went five for five in that game, we win that game by two plus touchdowns, right? And no one's freaking out about that. If we did the same thing against Kentucky, I mean, like I told you guys, it was about to be thirty to nothing after the first play of the fourth quarter. If Stetson doesn't miss Darnell for a touchdown early in the in the first quarter, and if we score a touchdown from the one yard line on that fourth down play. Uh, to open the fourth quarter. That makes that game 30 to nothing. And we win that game easily. And no one's even remotely talking about anything being concerned about. You're like, oh my God, yeah, we just beat Kentucky. It's a tough football team. We went in there to their place in the weather game, cold environment, and we just knocked the hell out of them. Margins can be small. It kind of worked against us with Missouri and Kentucky, created some certain narratives about this Georgia team. And in this case, it actually worked in our favor. So that's all the point I'm trying to make here. Just kind of skews perception to a, to a degree. Uh, the Missouri game, perception of that game is kind of skewed because of our red zone inefficiency. Same thing with Kentucky. And with this game, the perception, I think, of how much we dominate the game is skewed to a degree because of how efficient we were and how inefficient they were in the red zone. But at the end of the day, there are a ton of things to be excited about coming out of this win over LSU in the SEC Championship game. A lot of great stuff happened. That's why you win by three-plus touchdowns. But it wasn't all roses, which we will get to after I quickly tell you about our good friends at my bookie. The college football regular season has reached its conclusion. I guess it did last week, but even championship week is now gone, guys. But have no fear. Bowl season is just a few short weeks away, just around the corner. The NFL is going strong. College basketball is already in conference play for some of these conferences. So there's still plenty of stuff left for you guys to bet on and make some money on. So don't wait. If you've been pushing off, you've been thinking about it, and you haven't quite made a decision, now is the time, guys. Now is the time to pull that trigger. Go to mybookie.ag. Use the promo code UGA. And they will match that first deposit up to $200 in cash. This is not like a rollover bonus or anything like that. There's no strings attached. It's straight up $200 in cash that will be put into your account. And you can withdraw it as soon as you bet that initial deposit amount. I've never seen a deal like it, guys. Make sure you jump in on this right now while you can. you got about a month or so left to cash in on this. So make sure to do it now. Again, mybookie.ag. Use that promo code UGA to bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. Mother's Day is around the corner. 
Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, guys, let's keep this thing rolling. So, yes, as I spent the last 15, 20 minutes or so talking about, there are a lot of things to be excited about after this win over LSU, but let's also not put our heads in the sand and act like that defensive performance didn't just happen because it very much did. I saw it. You saw it. We all saw it. Let's not try to act like it didn't happen. So this is where I have to get to the bad. I tried to start out with the good stuff, guys, the positives. I wanted to bring the positive vibes, and I tried. I tried, but I cannot ignore some of the issues that we saw defensively. I would not be doing my job if I did. So here we go with the bad. And it's really only one thing. There's really only one thing I have to zero in on here, but it was a big one thing, and you just can't ignore it. 549 yards, guys. 549 yards. That's how many yards LSU put up on this Georgia defense, who is which has been one of the best defenses in the entire country. No, not as good as last year's defense. We know that. But still, one of the best defenses in the entire country and the best defense in the country in terms of limiting, limiting points. Gave up 549 yards and 30 points. 502 passing yards, which is the second most passing yards that a Georgia football team has ever given up. I'm not talking about just Kirby Smart. Any Georgia football team in the history of the program. Have to go back to the early 2000s with Kentucky through for over 500 yards against us. This is the second most ever an opponent has thrown for against a Georgia defense. And you can try to explain it away. You can try to make excuses for it and say, oh, well, we had a big lead. Our guys, you know, naturally the intensity dropped, the focus dropped. You know, they were just chucking it up. They were just hoping to create big plays, and they happened to hit a couple. You can try to make excuses. You can try to say that, you know, after after the end of this long season, our guys are just fatigued out there. We don't have as much depth defensively, which is all true. Like, we don't have as much depth defensively. But I don't want to hear that right now, guys. I, I'm just, I'm not going to listen to that right now because, there were some issues that we have got to correct, all right? Sure, all those things might be true. Yes, we had a big lead. Did the intensity and focus drop? Yeah, I mean, it did, probably, sure. It seemed that way. Was LSU just kind of throwing the ball up, trying to create plays? Yeah, they were. But the fact remains, you whatever the excuse is, that 
cannot happen. That simply cannot happen. You cannot lose intensity and focus. That's not what national champions do. You do not do that. You play four quarters of football. Yeah, I know it's natural to lose focus and lose intensity when you're up 35-10 at halftime, but that's what 8-4 and four teams do. That's what 9-3 and three teams do. That's not what undefeated, hopeful national champions do. We have to be better than that. We talk about our standard. That's not our standard. Our standard is much higher than that. We are a better football team, and we better be a better football team if we're going to actually try to win another national championship this year. And guys, I really do not use this term lightly. You know me on this show. We've had a couple, I don't know if you want to call them close calls, but games that were closer than they should be. And there are a lot of people very nervous, freaking out, upset about those games. Missouri, Kentucky, as I mentioned earlier this year. What did I come on here and tell you guys after both those games? Chill out, right? Chill out. It's okay. We're going to be fine. There's context to this. I didn't freak out. I didn't lose my mind after those games. I wasn't necessarily happy about it, but I understood that there was more context to what we saw, and that wasn't necessarily a death knell for this football team, that we were better than that, and we were going to be better than that moving forward. So I try to be as reasonable and honest with my takes as I possibly can with you guys. That is my goal. I am not a reactionary by nature. I am far more of a calculated, deliberate thinker. And if you've listened to this podcast for any length of time, I think you would probably agree with that. At least I hope that you would. And I just simply say that to make sure we all understand that I'm not one of these people that sound the alarm after every close call. I am not. I do not use some of these words lightly. So when I say that that defensive performance against the pass, against this LSU team that does not throw the ball very well, guys, they weren't even in the top 50 in passing offense coming into this game. When I say that performance was absolutely alarming to me, I don't use that term lightly. I'm just being very honest with you and giving you my my feelings, at least right now, 24 hours after the game. I'm alarmed by that performance. And to me, here's why I'm probably more alarmed than anything. It, this is not a one isolated case, right? This season, yes. Like we haven't seen that kind of passing performance against our defense this year. We have not seen that. We've been very good. I mean, Tennessee, like the, the greatest passing offense in the history of all passing offenses, right? Like we played them extraordinarily well. I know that we can do it right? But there has been this kind of alarming trend. Again, I don't use that word lightly, but to me, it's been an alarming trend over the past couple of years against teams that have legitimate weapons in the past game. If you go back to 2019 LSU, I know that was one of the greatest offenses we've ever seen. And like they did that to everybody. So no harm, no foul, right? But the fact remains they put up 350 passing, 74% completion percentage in that game. Go back to 2020. I know it was a COVID year. I know we were decimated by injuries. But still, in that game, Florida, with all the passing weapons they had in that offense, put up 475 yards passing, 70%, 70% completion percentage, 571 total yards. Alabama, in the 2021 SEC Championship game, threw for 421. Bryce Young set an SEC Championship single-game passing record with that performance in routes of 536 total yards. The National Championship game, Obviously, he won. Great. Awesome. I'm very excited about that still to this day. But Bryce Young still threw for 370 in that game, guys. And I'm not trying to like do the whole, well, it was without Jamison Williams, without John Mechie, but like it kind of was, right? They still threw for 370 in that game without their top two wide receivers. So there have been some very high-profile games, typically like one a year, where teams just go wild throwing the football on us. It does not happen often, but the trend has been at least once or so a year, there's some team out there that has weapons all over the field in the passing game that absolutely lights us up. 
And I know that makes me sound incredibly entitled and spoiled because, I mean, we've won, what, 15 straight games? We won the national championship last year. We've been in five last six SEC championships. So we have been extraordinarily good. Kirby Smart has done one hell of a job. I am so grateful that he is our head coach. And as far as I'm concerned, these are the glory days, guys. Like, this is the greatest period of Georgia football in the history of our program. And it doesn't show any signs to stop anytime soon as long as Kirby Smart is our head coach. So I know it sounds like I'm just whining about nothing here, but I'm just trying to look into the future, guys, and the games that we have to win to get where we want to go and to win another national championship. And there is this trend where against really talented teams, a lot of options in the passing game, a lot of talent out there, at least once or so a year we play those teams, we're getting torched. And the reality is like most teams that we play don't have that type of personnel. They might have like one really good wide receiver. They might have a really good quarterback, but they don't have a great offensive line. They don't run the ball very well, kind of one-dimensional. Most teams don't have you know, three or four potential first round guys and a guy that's going to play in the NFL at quarterback. And honestly, LSU doesn't have that type of quarterback. Jane Daniels is really good. Um, he's not that kind of passer. He was also banged up in this game. And Nussmeyer is not that kind of guy. I mean, we know that, but their receivers are those dudes. And I told you guys in the preseason, I predicted LSU was going to go 10 and 2 this, this season. I, I had them beating Alabama. I did not have them playing an the SEC championship game, but I, I thought they were going to be pretty good. And a big reason for that is I thought the receivers were probably the best group of receivers in the SEC. And I still think that if they're not the best in the SEC, they're, they're right up there. They haven't put up the numbers this year to indicate that because of the quarterback skill set and how the offense was built around that skill set. But those receivers can ball. And we saw that when they decided just to throw the ball up and just see what happens and see if the receivers can make plays, they did, man. I mean, because that's what happened. They clearly just decided offensively that they were not going to be able to run the ball. And they were just going to air it out. Chug it up, see what happens to see if their wide receivers could make plays, could make more plays than our past defenders could. And, that, and they did. That's exactly what happened. They said, let's just see what happens. That's our best shot here. And you know what? They were making play after play after play in the passing games. Now, the, the bigger question, like, yeah, we know that happened. We all saw that. Yeah, Tyler, we get it. We saw that. The more important question is how and why did that happen? You know, when things like that happen, you tend to think, well, they're just sitting back there in the pocket with all day. And there were times where we were not getting enough pressure, sure. But throughout the game, you know, relative to what we've done all year, I thought we pressured fairly well. I mean, we had four sacks in this game. We don't do that very often. We did in this game. Uh, according to Pro Football Focus, you know, take it for what it's worth. But according to Pro Football Focus, we had 26 total quarterback pressures in this game. So I felt like we did a good enough job pressuring the quarterback. I don't think that was the main issue. There were Sure, there were some times where he was sitting, they had clean pockets. But we did a fairly good job of, of trying to muddy that pocket. The primary issue was our inability to consistently play the ball in the air. It was not the only issue by any stretch of the imagination. But I, I do think that was the biggest issue. And this was not the first time that we have seen those issues pop up. This should not be surprising. And to you guys out there, I know that it's not because I get great questions about this kind of thing from you guys all the time. And if you listen to this show, you are a hardcore football fan. You know football. You know what you've seen, right? This has been an issue at times. The thing is, it's been an issue in very small doses to this point in the year. And those doses were never large enough to leave a lasting impression where you, where you walk out of the game like freaking out and saying, oh my God, like, are we going to be able to stop the pass moving forward? It's, it was never been that big. Just the doses were very small. But you and I watched this closely, guys. And to a lot of you, I know it's it's left a lasting impression. And it's left a lasting impression on me. Always in the back of my mind has been, man, like if we play a team that can really throw the football, what's it going to look like? That's why, you know, all year long, you've I've kind of hinted at like Ohio State, I always felt like it was going to be a really tough matchup for us. 
because of the receivers they have and the quarterback they have and how their offense is built and what they can do throwing the football. Because I've seen us have trouble in those contested 50-50 ball situations. Again, you don't see it all that often because teams are, most teams don't have the kind of talent to even be able to try to do that, but we've seen it enough for me to be concerned about it, at least have that in the back of my mind. But it's just been small doses. Yesterday, however, though, it was an overdose. According to Pro Football Focus, again, take it for what it's worth, what they define as contested balls, there were 14 contested balls. LSU won nine of them. That's a 65% win percentage for LSU's receivers on contested balls. That is not acceptable. That cannot happen. You call it 50-50 balls? No, man, that's a 65-35 ball. At least it was yesterday. That's not good enough. We're lucky our offense was hitting on all cylinders yesterday. If it was not, that game could have gotten real scary. But it's just so frustrating, guys, because when you watch it, our guys, generally speaking, are usually in phase, meaning they're right there where they need to be to make a play on the ball. The problem is, and we've talked about this earlier in the year, especially in reference to Keely Ringo, they're just not making those plays on the ball, at least not consistently enough. They'll get turned around, they'll lose the ball, they panic, especially Keeley. Keeley panics like tackles guys. He just loses the ball in the air, doesn't know what's going on, and just tackles people. Clearly, LSU saw that on tape. They saw our front seven and saw how we, how we were able to control the line of scrimmage, game in and game out. They said, huh, you know what? We're probably going to be able to run the football on this team, especially with Jaden Daniels kind of banged up and not really himself running the football. So why don't we at least try this? We see it on tape here and there where, where Keeley and some of these other defenders, some of our safeties at times, have trouble tracking the ball in the air. We have good receivers. We can, we throw the ball vertically down the field. Well, I told you guys that's one thing Jaden Daniels does really well is he throws a deep ball extraordinarily well. He puts that ball on the money, lays up there for his receivers to go make plays. Now, I know he was not in the game after halftime, but in the first half, he was able to hit some of those plays, and Nussmeyer kept it going. But the, the reality is we just are not making plays on the ball, and that's a problem because, number one, this is what we do. We Kirby Smart traditionally loves to play press man coverage. It's what we did all day long in Tennessee to great effect. And that's, and that's another part of the frustrating deal with this to me is we've done it before against teams that have comparable level talent out wide. But just our inconsistency at times playing the ball in the air, it, it's a problem. Because again, that's what we do. We like to get in people's face. We like to play press man coverage and like to put our, our corners on islands at times and have them just go and win. And look, when you play that way, you're not going to win 100% of the times. They're going to make some plays, especially when you have really talented wide receivers. The offense is going to make some plays. The rules are just honestly written in a way now and structured to, to favor the offense. So it's going to happen. It just can't happen as often as it did on Saturday, right? It just, it just can't happen like that. So number one, it's a problem because that's what we do. And we need to be able to do what we do, right? Just kind of makes sense. And number two, it's a problem because of who we are playing next up on December 31st in Atlanta. Guys, Ohio State, we'll talk a lot more about them in the coming weeks. That's a top 15 pass offense in America. That's actually a top five offense in yards per passing attempt. They have three to four NFL wide receivers, depending on whether Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to play and how healthy he is. LSU receivers are awesome. I, I think they're very, very good, but they're not as good as Ohio State's receivers. I mean, Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka Buka, Julian Fleming, again, Jackson Smith and Jigba, if he comes back, like that, if they are 100% healthy, that's probably the best receiving core in the entire country. And you have a signal caller who's going to be a first-round pick in C.J. Shroud. That 
is frightening, right? Like that that's why it's a problem. Like we have to get this fixed and we have to get it fixed now because that's what's up next. And you know they are licking their lips after what they saw on Saturday with our defense against an LSU offense. Again, that's not even a top 50 passing offense in America and had a backup quarterback in for half that game. We've been better and we've got to get back to playing that kind of football. We've got to be more consistent in playing the ball in the air. And I guess this is kind of like a cup half full way to look at it too. At least, number one, at least our guys are in phase, in position, right? Like, if our guys just didn't have the athleticism to stay with these receivers, you can't coach that up. Like, you don't coach athleticism. It just is what it is. They just, you just get torched, right? That's not what's happening here. What's happening is, you know, we're, we're not making plays in the ball. Also, there were, it wasn't just that. There are plenty of instances in this game where we just lost our man. Like, we got our eyes in the backfield and just got lost. Like, Keely a couple times just absolutely lost his man. But the cup half full way to look at this is those are all fixable, right? Those are coachable things. Those are things that you can fix when you have three to four weeks to work on it, right? You have 15 ball practices to work on that. You can fix those things. You can't fix talent. You can't fix lack of speed. You can't fix that stuff. That's not the problem. We have that. We have the physical profile. We've just got to go back to work and attack this and become more consistent in playing the ball and just not panicking when things kind of break down a little bit, when you kind of lose track of the ball a little bit, just kind of keeping your cool, keeping your composure, reading the receiver's eyes, reading his hands, and making plays on the football. And look, I mentioned Keely Ringo. Let's just go ahead and dive into this. I know everyone everyone wants to bury Keely Ringo today, and I kind of felt that way myself coming out of the game yesterday, walking back to my car after the game. But upon further review, go back and rewatching the game, thinking about it a little bit more, Keeley was not good, okay? I'm not going to sit here and tell you he was good. He was not. He had an absolutely terrible second half, one of the worst second halves you could probably have. I can't defend it too much. But I'll go back to what I was saying just a second ago. I can He continues to be where he needs to be in terms of being in phase with the receiver. And that's some that's something, right? Like, you're there, all right? That's great. But the problem is his awareness is almost non-existent at times, and he just, he just panics. Um, he lost his guy, as I mentioned a couple of times. I think he let it get to him. I thought his body language in the second half was really bad. And teams see that. They're going to feed off that. They're going to continue to go after him. And look, LSU clearly targeted him. I mean, if you go back and look at the numbers, they targeted Keeley 12 times in the in this game, by far more than they targeted anyone else. I mean, Kamari Laster on the other side, they only targeted him twice. And I think that goes to what, you know, Curtis and I were saying you know, over the past couple of weeks. I think we had a mailbag question about it. I think Curtis and I mentioned it either last week or the week before against Kentucky, but Kamari Laster has become our best cover guy, and LSU saw that. That's why they only threw his way two times. He gave it one catch, gave it 16 yards. You go back to Keeley, clearly they saw Keeley as a guy that was vulnerable. It's a guy that could potentially take advantage of. They threw his way 12 times. He only gave up six catches. Now, I know 50% is not exactly where you want to be, but I don't think it's as bad as everyone thought it was Like at first glance watching the game in the moment. He did give up 130 yards. Um, give it 21.7 yards per catch. That's not good enough. It's just simply not good enough. Um, average depth of target was 9.2. Uh, did force two incompletions, had one pass breakup, did not give up any touchdowns. And the quarterback rating against him was only 88.9. So if you look at some of those numbers, you go back and watch it. Like there were, He made plenty of good plays or plenty of times where he was doing what he was supposed to and, uh, and played well. But there were some high profile moments in that game where he was there to make a play and simply did not make the play. The receiver just made the play and he could not. And we've seen that too many times from Keeley. He's got all the talent, the physical talent in the world. He's just got to some way, somehow improve his awareness and improve those ball skills and just become more consistent. We've seen the guy do it. We know what he's capable of. He's just got to do it on a more consistent basis. 
But clearly, Keely Ringo did not have his best game by any stretch of the imagination. I think that's clearly an understatement. But I do also want to say this is not just Keely. All the conversation I was hearing last night coming out of the game was Keely this, Keely that, Keely this, Keely that. And no, he did not play well. But it was not just Keely, guys. There are a lot of other guys in secondary that played very poorly in this game as well. In fact, a guy that we've raved about all year long, going back to week one and the crazy acrobatic interception he made against Oregon, true freshman Malachi Starks has been awesome for us as a true freshman. He was not awesome for us against LSU. They targeted him six times, gave it four catches for 81 yards, 20.3 yards per catch, did not force any incompletions, did not break up a single pass. He gave up two touchdowns, and this is the kicker, guys. The quarterback rating against Malachi Starks when he was targeted was 149.3. So statistically, he actually had a worse game than Keeley. He just wasn't targeted as many times. I also thought Smile Mondin had his worst game as a Georgia Bulldog, especially in pass coverage. He's another guy. They, they they targeted him more than he typically is targeted. He was targeted seven times. He gave six catches for 90 yards, uh, did not force any incompletions, gave it one touchdown. He did have that one interception on that goofy play that bounced off the guy's helmet, but quarterback rating against him was 118.8. And look, guys, I'm not trying to say that to rag on anybody. I just kind of want to put this in context. It's kind of a way to defend Keeley Ringo a little bit here. Keeley was not good, as I laid out, but he was certainly was not alone. There are plenty of other players who needed to play better, plenty of blame to go around there. We just have to get better all around. Like it, it just simply was not good enough against a team that does not throw the ball exceptionally well. And we are about to throw play a team that throws the ball for a living pretty much. They run the ball well too, but they are a dynamic passing offense with dynamic receivers all over the field. But all right, guys, I think that's enough of the bad stuff for one episode. We've beaten that dead horse a little too much already probably, so let's go ahead and move on. But before we get to our game balls, I do want to quickly remind you guys about our friends at Alumni Hall. They already let me know the SEC Championship gear is on its way. You can pre-order it today. You can go online to alumnihall.com. Place that order right now. I've got a lot of great looking stuff for you guys, a lot of great options. You can also check out everything else they have in store inside the Epps British Shopping Center here in the Classic City. You can't beat the selection, guys. You can't beat the customer service. They do things right. And if you're a Georgia Bulldog fan, there is no better place on earth to find your Georgia gear than Alumni Hall. Trust me when I say Alumni Hall is where the Bulldog shop. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. All right, guys, it's time to hand out our game balls for the top performances of the week. And this week, I got to start at the top with my man, Big Game Stetson Bennett. 
showed up in a massive way after two weeks of, I don't know if you want to call them subpar performances, but at least the numbers were subpar. Now, all the whispers about Stetson, in fact, they weren't so much whispers. People were talking louder and louder. I guess Stetson, like, reverting back to old Stetson. Like, do we really trust this guy going to the playoffs? Like, what's wrong with Stetson? Is he injured? And even I was saying, huh, you know, Stetson's got to play better. But Stetson did what Stetson does. When the lights are at the brightest, when the moment's at its biggest, Stetson Bennett steps up and comes to play. 23 of 29 for 274 yards passing, 79.3% completion percentage, four touchdowns, no interceptions, four touchdowns in the first half before we decided to sit on the ball in the second half. If we, like I said earlier, guys, with our offensive performance, if we played the entire game the way we came out in the first half, Stetson would have thrown for 500 yards, probably would have had seven or eight touchdowns, and might have put himself firmly in the Heisman Trophy conversation. As it sits right now, I think he's on the periphery of that conversation. I don't know how many of the Heisman voters already turned their ballots prior to this game, but I will say, I believe, especially after this performance, that Stetson Bennett deserves a trip to New York. No, Stetson Bennett is not going to win the Heisman. No, Stetson Bennett should not win the Heisman. He doesn't have the numbers, at least based on how the Heisman works. It's a statistically driven award, right? But Stetson plays for the number one team in the country. He's been lights out for us all year long. He shows up the biggest when we need him most in the biggest games, and he is just one hell of a story. This guy deserves to be celebrated, and I am hoping, hoping that he gets that invite to New York. I'm under no illusions. I know he's not going to win. I understand that, but I think you make a very strong argument that this guy at least deserves the trip, and we'll see how that plays out. I don't know, but Stetson was awesome, man. He was in complete control of this game. He was on the money with throw after throw after throw. And look, I know that there are some people out there, maybe some of you listening, that Stetson will never be able to win over, no matter what the guy does. I understand that. I'm done arguing about it. Like, you can have whatever opinion you want to have about Stetson Bennett. I think Stetson is an absolute baller. I think he has gotten better and better each and every year. Stetson Bennett is playing, is, has been playing at an extraordinary high level all year long for us. He's a different kind of quarterback. He's by far the best version of him that we have seen. And to me, this is me. I know people disagree with me on this. My dad disagrees with me on this. I believe that Stetson Bennett has done enough this year to show to me and everyone else that he is an NFL quarterback. Now, does that mean he's going to be an NFL starter? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying I believe Stetson Bennett will be, be drafted. I think he has NFL caliber arm talent. I think he has NFL caliber understanding of football. I think he has NFL caliber leadership skills. I think he has NFL caliber mobility. The only thing I don't think that he has is NFL caliber size, right? And that's the knock on him. But how many of these guys that do have NFL caliber size don't have NFL caliber leadership, don't have NFL caliber mobility, don't have NFL caliber intangibles the way that Stetson Bennett has? So he might not have the total package, but he has about three-fourths of the package, in my opinion. And this guy, I believe, is an NFL quarterback. I really believe that he will make an NFL roster. I think he will be a backup in the NFL for, for many years if he wants to be. And you Stetson haters can flame away. That's fine. Flame away. I could be wrong. I'm not saying I'm going to be right. That's just my opinion. But for this game, Stetson definitely gets my first game ball. Uh, My second game ball goes to none other than Jalen Carter. Dear God, this man is unstoppable. I think he's the most dominant player that we've had in the Kirby Smart era with maybe the single exception of Roquan Smith. Like Roquan in 2017, I think... What he did for us in 2017 is comparable to what Jalen has done for us when he's been healthy this year. It's a shame he hasn't been healthy more than he was, but he's back, man. Like He's back in a big way, right? 
I don't know. I don't know if I would say Roquan or Jalen. Like who is the more impactful player for us? I mean, Jordan Davis was awesome for us. Uh, obviously, Nakobe, Channing, Quay, all those guys, uh, Trayvon Walker, impactful players. Of course they were. But I, I think that Jalen, when he's at his best, at least this season, and Roquan 2017, were the two most impactful defensive players that we've had in the Kirby Smart era. I mean, this guy, just you can't stop him one-on-one. You can't even stop him with two guys most of the time. He is just a game wrecker extraordinaire. He put that on full display, had a sack, had a couple tackles, tackles for loss in this game. And the play where he lifts Jane Daniels up with one arm, with the other hand, putting up the number one, that could end up being one of the iconic moments in Georgia football history. Like, really, guys, like think about that that image. If we win the national championship this year, and we have a long way to go, we have a hell of a tough task ahead of us against Ohio State in a couple of weeks. Knocking on wood here. But if things go the way that we want them to go, and we win the national title, think back. Like think like think forward like 20 years from now, guys. You're still going to be seeing that image of Jalen Carter holding up Jaden Daniels and lifting his finger up with number one for years and years and years to come. Now, we got to finish the job, right? got to finish the drill. But that could end up being an iconic moment. But Jalen Carter there's a game ball every single week, and this is no exception. He absolutely gets one. My third game ball is going to go to a guy that I don't think gets enough love. I don't know where he's going to be drafted. He doesn't have the physical profile necessarily, some of these other top potential draft picks. But all Chris Smith does is make plays, guys. This guy is the model of stability and consistency in our back end. He is a leader. He is the right kind of guy you want in your locker room. Remember, this guy didn't play for basically three years. He got it, and he didn't transfer. He didn't whine. He just went to work and got better. And when his time came, when Richard LeCount got hurt, he never looked back. Chris Smith has been awesome for us for two and a half years. And we are so fortunate to have a guy like that in our program and to see him have the kind of success that he's had and be so good for us and be such a leader for us, especially when we lost so many guys like that defense. We're very lucky to have this guy. We should all be very thankful for him. The play on the, the, the block field goal return. I mean, just awesome guys. I'm mean, really hilarious. I'm talking about it earlier, but just like looking at the referee, like, should I take this? And they got smile money in front of him saying, Hey, no, no, don't, don't pick it up. Don't pick it up. And he picks it up, scores a touchdown, has interception later in the game. Probably had another one earlier in the game, but um, he's just a great player, man. And I'm excited for him to be able to have the kind of success that he's had because that dude deserves it. He has earned it. So he gets the third game ball. You know what, guys? After we win SEC championship, we're not going to cut it off at three. Let's give out a couple more here. I'm going to give one to another guy that I think has had to overcome quite a bit of adversity. And that's running back Kendall Milton. You know, early in the year, guys, we um, we were hard on Kendall. And I, I think deservedly so. I don't think he was, and he wasn't healthy, okay? Let's just put that out there. He was not healthy. So maybe he wasn't deservedly so. He was out there grinding, doing what he could for his team. But he wasn't running with the physicality a guy of his size should be running with consistently. And then he gets injured again. He's kind of an afterthought. He's come back, and he came back again kind of as an afterthought. Kind of guy's getting like three or four carries a game. But he's kind of accepted that role. He hasn't whined, hasn't pouted, hasn't pitched a fit like a lot of guys would in that situation. This guy was a former big-time recruit coming to high school out of the state of California. And he just kept grinding, kept working, kept trying to get healthy, kept rehabbing. And I think we're, I don't know if he's 100% healthy, but I think he's healthier than he has been in a long time. And we're starting to see a different version of Kendall Milton. Now, Kendall's still not a burner. I mean, you guys saw that the 51-yard run, fantastic run, great vision, great short area quickness is what Kendall has. He's always had good vision. He's always had really good feet, really good short area quickness. He's not a burner. He got caught, and Kendall's going to get caught. He's not, he's not that kind of guy, and that's fine. But if he can show that kind of short area quickness consistently and, and run with some, some of the kind of physicality he has over the past couple of weeks, if he can do that more consistently, 
then we might have a big-time player in our hands. I'm not going to give up on Kendall Milton. You know, I know at times some of us kind of did, and I, I can kind of throw myself in there. So, you know, I just don't know, man. I just don't know. But he was hurt. He's getting healthy, and I love what I've seen from him. He had to fight back through it. He, you know, I mean, it's, it's had to have been tough on him, guys. Like, I don't know if I could would have handled it as well as he has, to be honest with you. So I'm happy for him. I'm proud of him. And it's also good for our team to get Kendall Milton kind of going, lathered up in this kind of shape. So got to give him one. And the last game ball I'm going to give here, I could probably go on and on, guys, but I'm going to give one more out. I'm going to give it to Lad McConkey. I know he only played a half of football, right? But Lad was fantastic in this game for us. He continues to be our go-to receiver, and he has been really all year long. I know AD was maybe coming into the year. AD was his base. He, obviously, AD came back great, awesome. So excited to see him out there. But he was out. He's been out since basically week two, and it's been Lad. And Lad, guys, I know he had, you know, in the early part of the year had a couple of games where he had some drops, right? And a lot of people were very frustrated, like, why are we throwing the ball to Lad? Get him off the field. What are we doing? And I kept saying, like, look, guys, I you can't have those kind of plays. He's got to catch those balls. I understand all that. You can't muff punts. I get all that. But you have to understand, Lad's, there's, some, there's a rust factor there because Lad's banged up. And Lad's not practicing much at all right now. He's just going out there on game days, lacing up and going out there and trying to play. And there's a rust factor involved. You're not getting reps during the week. That just That's the reality. Lad has been banged up all year long. Had a toes, had a knee, all sorts of different ailments that this guy's been dealing with. And every single game, he has gone out there and played. Why? Because his team needs him, right? It was one of those things where it's like, I'm I'm hurt, not injured, right? Like I'm in pain, I'm feeling it, it hurts, I have to grind to do this, but I, if my body will let me go out there and do it, I'm going to do it for the team. And guys like that in your locker room are invaluable. So to see him have the kind of success he did early in this game, he had a five catches, 69 yards, and a touchdown in the first half before going out with that knee injury. I just, I got to give him a game ball, man. I can't sit here in good conscience and not give Lad McConkey a game ball because this guy, just like Chris Smith, just like Kendall Milton, one of those kind of guys you want in your locker room. I got to give Kirby Smart credit here, guys. He continues to go out and not only recruit the top players in the country, he goes out and he finds the right guys to get in our program. And guys like Lag, guys like Kendall, guys like Chris Smith, guys like Stetson Bennett, guys like Jalen Carter even. Jalen could have hung it up, guys. Like Jalen's going to be a, he could be the first pick in the draft, maybe, top three pick probably. He could have just said, no, nah, I don't want to risk getting injured. This dude came back and played for his team, right? You can't put a price on that. Kirby has done a hell of a job getting these guys in here. Got to give the guys credit, but I don't give Kirby credit for building the roster the right way and getting the right kind of guys in here and building the right kind of culture. But Lad's a big part of that. I love Lad McConkey, and I'm another guy that I'm very, very excited is on our team. So there's five game balls for you guys. Again, I know there's more players that deserve it, but give you a couple there. And before I get out of here, I got one more thing I want to do real quick. I'm not going to spend much time on this because we're going to have three, four weeks here to talk all you guys want about the Peach Bowl matchup against Ohio State. But I want to give you a couple quick just uh, reaction thoughts about the Coswell Playoff selection show and how that kind of went down, the top four, how it played out. First up, re- real quick here, like this is a tough matchup. This is a really tough first round matchup for us, or I guess a semifinal matchup for us. Because I think there are three teams in the country right now that are head and shoulders above better than everyone else. I think Georgia... I think Michigan and I think Ohio State are the three best teams in the country. You could Maybe you could throw Alabama in there. I don't think Alabama's at that level. I don't think they're as good on the offensive line. I don't think they're as good at receiver. I just don't. I think they're like maybe four or I think probably four or five, somewhere around there. But I think there's three teams that are clearly the top three teams in the country, and we have to play one of them in the semifinals, even though we are the one seed. 
it is what it is. I mean, I, I'm not really mad at the committee. I get why the committee ranked the top four teams the way they did. I get why TCU's three. I get why Ohio State is four. I just happen to think that Ohio State is better than TCU. I think they played TCU on neutral field. Ohio State probably win by, I think, probably two touchdowns. That's just my opinion. I think at least at least double digits. I think 10 to 14 points they probably beat TCU by. My only thing with how their rankings played out and how these matchups played out is, like, what are you using to rank them, right? Is it about resume? Is it about who's the best team? And like, I think different committee members go about it different ways, and that's one of my frustrations with the committee. Because if it's about who is better, who's the better team? Again, I think Ohio State is is pretty clearly the better team. Like statistically, their, their statistical profile is um, almost twice as good as TCU's. But I, I, what the committee tries to do, I know, is they try to balance it out. Like it's it's the best teams and resume, right? It's a combination of those things. And I, I do get how TCU's resume is better. They do have an extra win over uh, Ohio State. TCU's got 12 wins. Ohio State's only got one. TCU lost in overtime. Oh, an inch away. Trust me, I know because I had them to win that game 2,800 to one. Mm, tough pill to swallow. Um, so I, I know that TCU has more wins and I know the way they lost, they didn't get dominated the way Ohio State, Ohio State did at home. But I would also counter and say, well, TCU also did not have to play the number two team in the country in the regular season. Ohio State did. Yes, they lost that game. Yes, they got blown out in that game at home. But would TCU have fared much better in the same situation? I don't know that they would have. I just think Ohio State is a better team. But at the end of the day, like I get how they ranked it. I understand TCU's resume is better. So I don't really have a problem with the committee. I'm more upset with Clemson and USC. That's who I'm upset with. I wanted to play Clemson in the first round. I think that if Clemson had beat South Carolina and if Clemson would have won the ACC championship game in blowout fashion the way that they did, I think that they would have been in that fourth spot. And you can disagree with me there, but the committee has had, I mean, Clemson didn't really have many good wins, like great wins all year, but the committee has consistently had them ranked pretty high, even after some of these losses. I mean, heck, even after the South Carolina loss, they were still ranked inside the top 10. So I, I just believe they had not lost to South Carolina. Their only loss was a a uh, loss on the road to Notre Dame, who the, who the committee also seems to love. I think that they would have jumped Ohio State and been in the top four by virtue of the conference championship game because they they put a premium on those conference champions, guys. They really do, especially if it's close. Like We saw that in 2018, 2019 with Oklahoma, right? So I, I think that Clemson would have jumped if they would have been a one-loss conference champion in the ACC, a Power 5 conference champion, and we were going to uh, destroy Clemson. We would have exposed them. Like I, that's what I, That was my hope, guys. For the past couple weeks, I was like, please, let Clemson sneak in at number four. Let's keep the number one seed because we will murder Clemson. We will expose them. Unfortunately for us, they got exposed two weeks too early by South Carolina at home, and um, that sucks. Then USC, it would have been USC, right? USC is another team. It's like, okay, well, if Clemson got knocked out, it's fine, whatever. USC is next up for me. That's who I want to play because defensively, they ain't there. And I thought that we would be able to expose them. But Utah, man, one week too early, had to do it again, right? So that knocks USC out, and then that's why Ohio State gets to sneak in. So the committee, you know, it's a tough job. I don't want to kill them here. I think I would I would have had Ohio State at three because I like to, I usually do it based on if, if both teams have one loss, I would say Ohio State's a better team and it's pretty clear to me. So I would put them at three. But I understand why they put TCU at three. I'm not that upset about it. Fine. I'm just mad at Clemson and USC because we were gonna we were gonna murder both those teams and go to the national championship game. And then you gotta you gotta probably a date with Michigan, right? And look, guys, I know some of you are saying, oh, man, like, why are you scared of Ohio State? It's not that I'm scared, guys. I'm not scared of anybody. Like, we haven't lost a game in 15 games. Like, I, I'm not scared of anyone. I just know who, at least I have an idea of who I think is better. And I would prefer us have the easiest path, right? Because sometimes you don't play your best game. 
And if you're playing a better team, when you don't play your best game, you might not win that game. I just want what's best for Georgia to win another national championship. And to me, I thought playing TCU in the semifinals would have been better for us. It's not how it worked out. It is what it is. We've got to go beat Ohio State. We absolutely can beat Ohio State. But I would just have preferred to play TCU because I don't think TCU is as good. I'm not scared of Ohio State. I respect them. I think they're better than TCU. And again, as a Georgia guy, I would rather play a team that I don't think is as good as, as the team that we are going to have to play. But I am excited that we're in Atlanta. I do think that is at least some sort of an advantage for us. Ohio State is going to come in fired up. We're going to talk a lot more about that, of course. like I don't think that there has been more of a redemption spot in the history of the college football playoff than there is for Ohio State in this game, the way that they lost to their rival at home with all the buildup in that game, especially after how they lost last year to them, to now get a chance to get back in the college football playoff and maybe avenge that loss and to you know, just really kind of make amends on the national stage and take out the number one team in the country in their backyard. Like what better way for you to kind of get the redemption that you so desperately crave after that loss to Michigan. So we're going to play a a very good, very motivated Ohio State team. But at the end of the day, as we'll talk about over the next couple of weeks, if we play to our standard and play the way that we can, we we will beat Ohio State. It's just going to be a tough game because that is a damn good football team. They're going to be a damn motivated football team as well. But plenty of time. Let's talk about that. But thank you guys for listening here. Man, I went long today. I didn't plan on going this long. Kind of just happened, but I appreciate you guys sticking with me. Charlie and I will be back later this week with our mailbag episode. So send all those questions in, guys. You can send them to us um, on Twitter at glory underscore UGA. You can hit us up on Instagram. You can also email us, and that is gloryugapodcast at gmail.com. And as always, go dogs. <laughs>